Business Unusual, separating economic facts from fiction. Good evening and welcome to Business Unusual. I am Anelisa Dube and this evening we are going to be looking at the capital markets in Zimbabwe, what comprises of the capital markets and how you can make the most of it and some of the issues that are surrounding these markets in Zimbabwe. Now to have this conversation, I'm joined by the Security and Exchange Commissions of Zimbabwe Chief Executive Officer Tafadzwa Chinamo. Thank you so much for making time with us today. Uh, thank you for having me, uh, Mona Lisa. It certainly is a pleasure to be here this evening with you. So um, let's start with the basics. I always want to go to the basics as we begin this program. Walk us through the role of the Securities and Exchange Commission of Zimbabwe. So essentially, the commission is, um, is a statutory body that was established by an act of parliament. And its functions really is to regulate trading and dealing in securities. Now, people always ask us, what is securities? So securities are essentially financial instruments or paper that is traded, whereby um, companies that seek to raise money in the form of shares or bonds come to these public markets, issue these pieces of paper to the investing publics. So when you talk of securities, you're essentially talking in our context in this country, mainly of uh, shares that trade on the stock market or bonds. We also register, supervise and regulate securities exchanges. So your stock exchanges, your commodities exchanges, for you to operate in this country, you need the licensing of the Securities and Exchange Commission. We also license, supervise and regulate licensed persons in order to ensure high standards of professionalism and integrity on their part. By licensed persons here, we're talking of anyone or, or rather any company that uh, interfaces with the market, that are the go-between between the investors who are putting money to these companies that are raising money in the companies themselves. So exchanges themselves, um, um, licensed persons, asset managers, stock brokers, custodial companies. So all those, for them to operate, they need our license and we supervise and regulate them as well. Yeah, so we also encourage the, the development of free, fair and orderly capital markets. Um, so obviously when you when so many people are interfacing and interacting, you need some rules, some order. So we, we essentially set the ground rules of how all of this sort of all of these players and parties interface and interact. And lastly, our key role is to advise the government on all matters relating to securities. So whenever securities laws come in, policies and so forth, it is our role to advise the government on, on what's best for the economy, given obviously the trust that the government will have at the time in developing the economy. Right. Um, you spoke about how there is need for institutions to be licensed for them to be able to offer trading facilities. So how many do we have in the country that are licensed so far? Okay. Um, so in we have... In, the, in terms of various categories, in total, we've got about 105 uh, institutions that are licensed uh, by the Commission. And there are various categories of these licenses. So in terms of stock exchanges, we've got three. Uh, everybody knows, obviously, the big exchange, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, which also owns the Vic4 Stock Exchange. There's also an alternative trading platform called uh, FinSec. We have two securities depositories, 
Uh, we a few years ago we moved from a paper environment where you if we're trading shares on the market you actually received a piece of paper that said that uh, monarita dube owns so many shares of this company and so forth so all of that was made electronic so the platform that handles that is called a depository or central securities depository and so what happens that when people are trading the depositor is the one that makes sure that uh, the person who's selling uh, these security or shares actually own those shares and the person who's buying uh, is actually um, put forward money to make this exchange. So that's the role of, of a securities um, deposit. We've got two. The big one that was established uh, when we first automated this coaching get trade depository company. More recently this year, actually, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange also uh, licensed, or uh, we approved um, the licensing of the establishment of their own uh, CSD. We have three transfer secretaries, seven custodian um, banks. Now, custodian banks perform the function where, especially for large investors, uh, they hold on their behalf their assets and cash. Um, so, you may have a pension fund uh, which doesn't want to have the responsibility internally to be the custodians of their own assets. So they give this function uh, to these custodial banks and there's seven of them. So whenever a transaction is happening, so it's the custodians would then link up with the central securities depository to effect the transfer of ownership in exchange for money. We have uh, 21 stockbroking firms Within the stockbroking firms, um, the law stipulates that for a firm to be operational, it must have at least two licensed persons who are licensed or registered as stockbrokers. So in terms of the number of stockbrokers, we have uh, 58 uh, licensed stockbrokers, uh, 19 asset management companies, 42 investment advisory firms. Now, these perform the role that whenever a listed company wants to say raise more money, issue more debt, restructure, these are the companies that give that advice. And they also then uh, help this company package that information or the documentation, also help them to sell it to the public. So whenever there's, if we have an IPO, the paperwork, all those things you see in the paper, the, those pages and pages of you know, those documents are prepared by these financial advisors. We also have three trustees. Trustees perform the role where for collective investment schemes and the more common term for this are unit trusts. So they are like the, the overseers or the, the people entrusted to ensure that the asset management company uh, setting up this unit trust fund performs according to what is stipulated in the trust deed of that particular fund. So they ensure that they're meeting um, the investment targets, they're investing in instruments that that particular fund was set up to invest and so forth. And speaking of unit trust funds, we have 57 uh, unit trust funds ranging from um, share market funds or equity funds, money market funds, a mixture, there's some property funds in there as well. We also licensed this year to real estate, real estate investment trusts. Um, this is a specialized form of a unit trust fund, uh, but dedicated to property. So essentially, 
an asset manager creates such a fund, pulls money from various investors, and they go into the market and acquire or develop property. Now, the duty of a real estate investment trust is that it's, it's got so many tax benefits, and but it must adhere to the standard whereby whatever rentals are being collected, they go through, sort of straight through to the people who who've invested uh, in that particular fund. So two have been licensed. You may not have seen them publicly because they haven't launched yet, but I'm hoping um, before the end of this year, they will, there will be ceremonies for these two particular real estate investments trusts in open. Uh, if you go in many countries in the world, they're the ones that are actually responsible for a lot of the commercial properties that you see. So if you've been down to, to South Africa, all those shopping malls, Essentially, it's a fund manager bringing together a lot of pension funds, getting their money and building that more. And from the rentals that they get, that those are the returns that go back to the investors. Obviously, the investors own that building. So if there's an um, increase in the valuation or the value of that property, it also reflects on the investments of um, the people who they've uh, bought into that real estate investment trust. We also right. have um, one uh, electronic traded fund or ETF. Uh, it's listed on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange. In terms of the number of investors who are taking part in this, we're looking at last count about 60,000 investors. So from private individuals, institutions, foreign investors and so forth. Um, I'm glad you spoke about uh, private investors because the idea of this particular episode of Business Unusual I really wanted mm. us to talk about the various opportunities that individuals can have on, on the capital markets because yeah. Um, yeah. usually when it comes to these issues, people just assume that uh, it can be done on a company basis. But I'm glad that you also indicated that we have yeah. a lot of private investors that are on this market. So when one wants to invest on these capital yeah. markets, where, where can they start from? Okay, so I just given you the entire landscape, right? Um, for someone who's knowledgeable, there's nothing stopping you uh, going directly and saying that, assuming that you understand um, how companies work, how markets work, you can, if you want to invest on the stock exchange, a stock broker is your first port of call. So you go to a stock broker, you open an account with that stock broker. You've got an option either to then, if you feel safer uh, dealing with the registered custodian, uh, the ones I described earlier. So the broker can then say that um, go. there are seven of these custodian banks. You can put you, deposit your cash there instead of me, but tell the custodian that I'm your broker. So, so that whenever the, bro the broker does trades on your behalf, they then communicate directly with the custodian to do the payments or receive shares. So you can do that and go to a stock broker. Uh, stock brokers generally like to deal with people who are slightly more informed. Um, they don't have the means really to structure a portfolio for you, to really interrogate 
your your risk profile, your preferences, and so forth. So, if you are not there yet, then asset managers, in my view, are set up to do that because an asset manager's job is to manage your assets on your behalf. And right. Essentially, what an asset manager does is that they must profile you first. So they'll ask you a bunch of questions: um, How much do you want to invest? Where do you get your money from? Is it from is it from salary? Is it an inheritance? What are you saving for? Have you done this before? How long do you want to save for? Um, you know, what would happen, say, if you gave me $100,000 to invest for you and you lose half that value? Would that devastate you? Are you okay with that? What time horizon are we looking at? I mean, are you doing this maybe for a newborn that you want to pay their school fees 10, 15 years from now? Or are you doing this maybe just to defer spending for the next six months? So an asset manager then profiles in that way, creates then a portfolio for you, depending on the amount of money that you have. These are the people who, who then walk you through this and they then go to the markets on your behalf. So on your behalf, then if you are buying shares, they engage the store broker on your behalf. <clears throat> if you're buying money market assets, they go to the banks themselves and so forth. Depending on the money, like I said, that you have to invest when you go to an asset manager, if it's below certain thresholds and all the 21 asset managers are different, um, these for smaller amounts, they can channel you to Unitrust funds that they manage. And for Unitrust funds, um, from the information I have, with as little as $500, you can actually purchase uh, into these unit trust funds in interest fund 500 exists. us dollars no no uh, uh, local currency yeah so i mean it's not much some obviously so the the 54 unit trust funds are all different some have a minimum maybe of ten thousand, some five but the lowest like i'm telling you is 500 um so in there there are money market funds there are funds that strictly buy shares um, and then the, some that do a bit of both, there's some with some property as well. So these are the options that I'm saying that if depending on the sort of level of knowledge and confidence that you have, you can either go directly to a broker or through an asset manager. Now, when we look at the performance of um, the capital markets in Zimbabwe compared to other countries within uh, the African region, how is Zimbabwe doing? We've done very well, and it's a shame that we don't say more about that. Um, the primary direction, and let's just talk about this year. Year to date, you're looking at just the stock market, um, 155%. Now, this is so assuming that you'd put $100 in January and as of last Friday, it have gone up by one and a half times. Right. This is for the market average. So if you take all the shares on the stock market, all 56 shares on the stock market, by that's the aggregate um, performance that those shares have um, done. The, the returns are even higher, 1,700% for the smaller companies. But generally, the smaller companies are a bit more risky, but it gives an idea of the sort of returns that is being made there. If I also look at um, the liquidity, and by liquidity, we're talking here of how much money is changing hands on these markets. The first half of this year, so January to 30, to 30 June this year, 
the total value of shares that traded was 16.5 billion local currency. Versus last year, the same period, the first half of last year, we're talking of a figure of 3.8 billion. So that's nearly, that's over four times in terms of um, what's happening there. So uh, if, and, if that is the case, sorry, if that is the case, Mr. Chinamo, why is it then yeah. we hear of stories of uh, especially foreign investors leaving the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, etc.? Mm. Why is it that then? Yeah. So it's for foreign investors, it's not really that they are um, disappointed with the returns. The returns have been fantastic. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go through the various comparisons with other stock markets. But I think it's just been the issue of currencies for a while, which I'm hoping that the auction system, the interbank system is resolving. But for a long time, there was a challenge where a foreign investor could not easily take their money out. Yeah, so I think that really became the thing, the biggest issue. And also, I think our changing from US dollar to Zim dollar, one to one and those sort of things, at some point, they caused quite a bit of confusion and uh, discomfort to a lot of foreign investors. Yeah. But um, okay, just going on again, so this performance, it, it's great numbers. And part of the reason is that um, there's a bit more money in the system and that money has to find a home. Typically, when people compare with the, um, or rather, a typical investor in, in our sort of markets is an option of primarily stock market or money markets. Money markets for a long time in this country have been given returns that are below inflation. So they are not, you don't earn real returns. So even though inflation is coming down, money market rates are still below inflation. So that has channeled a lot of money into the market. Also, the retail investors, those that are trading directly on the stock market through stock brokers, uh, via platforms like C-Trade, for example, constitute now uh, 50, over 50% 50 of the trades that we're seeing now are coming from these retail investors. And in terms of uh, the number of trades um, that have happened, just in the second quarter alone, we're talking of 23,000 individual you know, number of trades um, that have happened. Um, you've also got, um, yeah, so I think I also spoke of inflation. I think that's another driver as well. That um, because money markets are not giving you a real re return on investment, and as inflation is this high, stock markets for the larger institutional investors, I think, it become a viable option. Now, if you compare these uh, within the region, so if I look at Botswana, for example, Year to date, the return there um, is, is minus 2.1%. You go to the Lusaka Stock Exchange, um, its return is about 18.78%. You're talking of the JSE in South Africa, that's 13.4%. Uh, in Kenya, the Nairobi Stock Exchange is 23%. Nigeria, it's also in the negative year to date, minus 1.7, sort of 1.95. So one might say that, okay, the numbers that we're talking about, the 155 I spoke about is in Zim dollars, but even if you convert that into dollars, right? The returns are still much, much higher. Even on the black market, uh, the dollar is not depreciated by more than 100%. So I'll still say that we've done very, very well. And our market in the regional context, um, South Africa obviously is, uh, is a behemoth, so you really can't 
we 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 always take it out in terms of size and so forth. But um, in terms of the value in US dollar terms, we are looking at for the first just the second quarter alone this year, 134 million US dollars worth of shares traded. That is higher than Mauritius, um, Botswana, uh, Dar es Salaam, in you know, it's like this. It's about the same as Kenya and Nigeria. So it's not a small market. Number of listings as well. Our market is 56 um, stocks listed here. Mauritius is slightly more, uh, 192. And South Africa is 330. But the others, Botswana, you're looking at 30. Um, Dar es Salaam, 28. I think Lusaka, it's about 30 as well. Um, we are talking about capital markets here on Business Unusual. My guest today is the Security and Exchange Commission's Commission of Zimbabwe Chief Executive Officer Tafadzwa Chinamo. Now, we've spoken about how someone can get to trade on these capital markets. We talk about uh, performance. And one of the issues globally, as far as trading is concerned in these markets, the issue to do with insider trading, right? Yeah. As a as a regulator, have you had to deal with these issues here in Zimbabwe? So I think first let's understand what we mean by insider trading. So let's take your radio station ZFM. Say it's a corporation, you want to expand, you want to go into the region or in other cities and so forth. And you've done your homework, you want your investment advisors, they tell you that look, you're going to achieve that if you raise, say, $10 million. Why don't right. you issue um, 1 million shares uh, representing perhaps 40% of the company to the general public? So the investment advisors, your brokers, they go to the exchange on your behalf, and IPO is done, and then people buy those shares. Now, why does someone buy shares into ZFM? Because the story that you're telling us is that you're telling us that you've seen growth because markets or investments is always about the future. The past doesn't matter. But are you set up to make money in the future? Right. If I believe that as an investor, I buy your story, I look at your financials, your management team and all that. And I say, wow, let me buy shares. So I go into the market to my broker or asset manager and I buy these shares and I become a shareholder of ZFM, which is listed on a stock exchange. Now, what's going to drive the price up is the performance of ZFM. Now, ZFM's performance is driven by the management at ZFM. They're the ones who are managing it day to day, who are analyzing the competition, pricing for adverts, or managing costs and so forth. The rules of a listing also say that every six months, ZFM must publish its financial statements. Now, if you've done very well, right, your profits jump 40%, right, by the time you release those results, your share is going to be in demand because it means that uh, the people who are invested in, they are invested in a company that's profitable, that's going to pay them dividends, and the demand for your share is going to go up. So the share price is going to go up. Now, that information that ZFM's profits have gone up 40% until it's made public, it's only known to the management of ZFM. Yeah. During, so that's during the close period, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Or it could be that ZFM is making a bid to buy Star FM, right? It's going to be a big deal, right? Until that is made public, right? It's, 
information that is only known to maybe your advisors and the management, even not everyone within the company would know it. So that is what we term price sensitive information. That is information that potentially can move a share price up or down. Well, it could be that ZFM is really hit financial problems, is being sued, and the losses are going to be huge. So the price is going to go down. So it's insider trading is someone privy to that information, using it to their advantage of buying or selling your shares before everybody else does. Yeah. So, and the world over, these cases are the most difficult for any regulator to to them come up with. So what we do generally is that under the rules, the, fa- the, the fairness I spoke about why we exist is that it's a requirement of the listed company, in this case, EFM. So the moment any information potentially can move a price, there are rules of how that information must be left known to the public, right? So if, for example, the, the, the example here is that ZFM is going to acquire Star FM, the moment they start those discussions, they must put out what is called a cautionary statement. They might not give us the full details, but some to the effect that uh, investors and, and, and stakeholders be notified that uh, there is a transaction which ZFM is engaged in, which potentially could alter the valuations and the pricing of ZFM. Right. Every week thereafter, or every two weeks thereafter, they must update. Right. Meaning that that is part of the measures that we have in place to ensure that information doesn't just hit the public all of a sudden. Because imagine these discussions take six months, right? And then someone, and then the public only knows when the deal is done. If I had known that a week before, right? Uh, I could have bought those shares. So going back to my point that it's very difficult for any regulator the world over to pick out those things. Most insider trading cases happen when someone within ZFM blows the whistle and says that, look, uh, you know, uh, there's a transaction going on and we notice that our finance director um, has bought certain shares. So So have you ever received such reports as, as the regulator? No, we have not. But what we then do is that whenever a transaction like that happens, we then play the trades backwards, right? We also go to the people who were advising them. Uh, everyone else, anyone was involved in that transaction, we, we look at them. Unfortunately here, our systems are not as integrated as in, in this computerized to say that maybe you know okay, about, you know, these... Um, you know, the potential pitfalls in you doing it directly. Maybe you tell your boyfriend or your cousin, right? In some countries, they can actually link those things quite easily. That's why I'm saying that it's very difficult. So those are the sort of investigations that we are always doing. So far, I'm glad to say that with the explanations have been satisfactory. We have never found a case where, where there was direct link that uh, where it was blatant that so-and-so has done it. Is it because that your investigations, you can only go so far as doing them as you cited some of uh, the constraints to do with technology or there's genuinely no insider trading happening in Zimbabwe? Yeah. So you can't rule it out 
But I'm saying that proving it is more difficult. It's like that. It's Absolutely, I'm so, sure it is happening. It's just a matter yeah. of of knowing and tracking where it's what's going on. Yeah. Let's look at um, the Victoria Falls Stock Exchange. Earlier on, you did mention that it, it is a subsidiary of the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, and yeah. it was launched last year, really, with idea with uh, with the aim of making sure that companies can invest in foreign currency. As we spoke about the volatility yeah. of the local currency earlier, what has been the progress so far? Yeah, yeah. So we only license exchanges; we don't own them. So. Not saying that I'm washing my hands of answering your question or anything like that, but uh, anyone who wants to set up an exchange, um, the laws and the rules are very clear. The application process is very clear. So the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange came to us um, and said that look, we believe that we've seen an opportunity here for an exchange um, where companies can raise money and investors trade in foreign currency and insecurities. The, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, obviously being a, Zim, a local currency uh, denominated in ex, sort of exchange, these are some of the aspects that it wasn't fulfilling. So we licensed them on that basis and they started last year. We had immediately, I think, Sidco listing on that. And more recently, we also saw Padenga. Now, Stock exchanges, uh, there are beasts that really move very slowly. So the momentum, if you go to your or A level of physics, the inertia is just, you need to really push it first, right? But once it starts moving, it's very difficult to stop as well. And generally you expect it you know, to, to, to the pickups. So I would say that one year of comparison Personally, I think it's a bit harsh to say that it's been a failure. I think give it time. Naturally, we we tend to compare it to the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, which goes back over 100 years. You know? Right. And I'm sure in its formation, it had problems. But anyway, having said that, the fact that the Big Four Stock Exchange is a US dollar denominated in, um, exchange, our biggest players on, in the markets here are not US dollar denominated people. So if you take any typical pension fund in this country, it's a local currency pension fund. And those are the, the institutions that normally do a lot of activity of trading. So the money that I told you about, you know, that liquidity is mainly driven by people who are generating or, or whose environments are local currency. So that's the first challenge that you have. The other one is that, um, for shareholders who are currently holding shares on Victoria Falls Stock Exchange, they ask themselves that, look, I'm an equities or a share trading person, right? If I'm on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, if I buy one, so if I sell one share because I've made money there, naturally I'm looking to buy a share that I believe is currently undervalued and there's a potential to go up in price. So I'm literally switching from one holding on that exchange to another. Vic Force only has two counters, uh, and until recently only had one. So there is that dilemma that so if I'm uh, a holder of Citgo shares on Victoria Post Stock Exchange and I sell, what do I do with my US dollars? Because the money market for US dollars doesn't exist. If it's there, it's not very liquid. 
and is very exceptional that not every bank is doing it. So that's the other dilemma that you face. You can't really build an investment portfolio on Vicfo Stock Exchange. And so at the moment or at the moment because of the two stocks. You see what I'm saying? So it's a chicken and egg thing that you want liquidity, but liquidity is going to come by you having a lot of stocks listed there. But stocks are going to be attracted to the Vic4 Stock Exchange because it's liquid. But currently it's not. So give it time. Once you start getting diversity as well, so um, if three, four other counters go in there from various sectors, it starts to look interesting. Yeah. And then also, I think just the first mover that um, it's only a certain, a small portion of, of human beings generally who just want to try something new. All of us wait until, you know, someone else has done it, you know. So we're still at that stage that because again of the rap around it and the talk around it that, look, was it necessary? Is it going to work and so forth? You've got a lot of people sitting on the fence. So people are taking a wait-and-see approach. Exactly, yeah. Earlier on in the program, we spoke about uh, some of the concerns that Zimbabwean, some investors have with the Zimbabwean market. And Mm. uh, you highlighted some of the issues to do with the currency and currency uh, policy inconsistencies, rather, that have been in the country. Apart from that, have there been any other concerns that probably investors have as far as the Zimbabwean capital market is concerned? Yeah. So capital markets, it's um, it's a barometer really. It's um, it's the pulse of so it it dances with the beat of the general economy. So it doesn't exist in isolation. So when you speak of the capital markets, like I said, the main focus is companies whose shares or securities are trading on that um, market, right? Those companies exist in the Zimbabwean economy, right? What's going to attract investors into those companies, into this market, is the future performance of those companies, right? So whatever concerns people have of the Zimbabwean economy, those are going to reflect as well in the performance of those companies. So, and generally the things that concern us day to day is currency stability, inflation, you know, and coming specifically to our market is also the limited options because people right now, you are essentially, when you speak of capital markets, you are essentially talking of listed shares, equities. We don't have any bonds trading in this market. We don't have any derivatives. We don't have, now we've got unit trust and ETFs and so forth, but the options are also quite limited. So you find that even if you, without even going very far in Kenya and Nigeria and Mauritius, they've got lots of other instruments that they trade on these markets. So these are the things that sort of excite people. There's ways of restructuring your portfolio or structuring it in a way that you can hedge and so forth. I'm also glad that we've got a commodities exchange. Again, it's going to take time for people to get the feel of it and the confidence to then start uh, trading big volumes and so forth. Uh, but generally, I'll say that uh, when you look at the capital markets, the starting point is always the well-being of the overall e- the economy within which it exists. And whatever direction that economy is taking, the markets are going to take that as well. They, they can't be a tangent 
to what's happening in the overall economy. So recently, um, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange signed a memorandum of understanding with the Dubai Gold and Commodities Exchange. Uh, what are we to expect from this uh, partnership? I think it's a very good development. Um, the thing about exchanges, uh, and we spoke earlier in this program uh, about uh, the participation of foreigners, right? Um, I think it's a big endorsement that you've got a market as big as Dubai showing an interest to work with Zimbabwe. So certainly that attention alone that you've got very big players out there who are now saying, okay, what is it that Dubai is saying in Zimbabwe? It's a start. I think that's such a good thing. Exchanges are also very capital intensive. They require a lot of money. Uh, the systems that they use in these exchanges, you're talking of the proper Rolls-Royce systems, you're talking of tens of millions of dollars. The infrastructure and also the skills and the know-how, right? Like I said, in this country, um, we've just been relegated now to trading listed shares, right? This partnership, in my view, opens up uh, our teams here to skills that they were not going to acquire by themselves. So, so you're now partnering someone with the experience and the know-how in various other instruments that we currently don't have at the moment. So I think that's also very, very good. Uh, when I read the statement, it also says that it's really more on the commodity side. So Dubai, uh, I think for the metals, commodities, they are very big. Uh, they are a gateway. Uh, geographically, I think they are ideally suited. And I think they've made they've taken advantage of their centrality you know, on the world map. So it's a gateway to Europe, Asia, Africa, and so forth. So again, uh, the potential, the possibility for our um, metals in this country, gold in particular, to then find a very active market there, I think it's huge. And once you get that sort of attention, the money comes in and markets generally are there to raise money. What better way to have a conduit uh, like Dubai um, to be on your side and funnel this money into this market. So I think it's a very good development and I wish them all the best. Absolutely. We look forward to the results of that. As we wrap up the program, Mr. Chinamo, what are your expectations of uh, the Zimbabwe capital market performance, uh, say, by the end of the year? Okay. Yeah, so I think the positive is that inflation is trending downwards. I think that's always very good. Because with high inflation, people are never really settled. You know, they don't make right. You know, uh, they make irrational decisions. So I think for me, that's very, very good. The SDR that um, the special drawing rights that we got the nine sixty one million, again, it's a big boost. Uh, in any context, that kind of money in this economy is huge. Uh, so I think that will also um, buttress whatever policies the Reserve Bank, the Minister of Finance, and the government in, you know, in general is working on, I think this is also going to have weather forecast, again, pointing to another good season. Like I said, in our markets, we're always looking ahead. The past really doesn't matter because we've made the money, we've spent it. So what's going to happen next? So another good rainy season means that less money is going to go out to, to, to import to rain import. and food and so forth. Yeah, so I think that's also very, very good. Um, and then obviously also globally, the fact that the IMF released this kind of money to the global economy, 
it's a stimulus to everybody else. And the sooner that uh, we really get our act together and start re-engaging the rest of the world, we can even benefit more than this um, 961 million that we've got. So I think, and also the performance of the companies as well, coming out of COVID as we are doing, uh, I think last year was quite brutal for a lot of businesses. So I'm hoping that we are past the worst of this COVID. And if, it, if that is the case, then certainly I think um, it's looking quite bright. We, you may not get the sort of return that I spoke about in the second half, but certainly the returns will be you know, good. And, and anyone with the money and the know-how, we are here to also assist in making people aware of what's available. I think it's a market worth looking at. Thank you so much, uh, Tafazwa Chinamo. He is the Chief Executive Officer at the Security and Exchange Commission of Zimbabwe. And this evening we're having a conversation just exploring the capital markets in Zimbabwe and the opportunities that lie in there. And on that note, we conclude this episode of Business Unusual. I am Onelisa Dube. Have a pleasant evening. Business Unusual, separating economic facts from fiction.